1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58 from the NIV. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was, was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are also those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give, your, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Um... What a privilege it is to be able to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. Going through the resurrection, uh, just a quick series recap. Um, we're currently going through the resurrection and your life. And um, the first week we looked at a new vision. Um, the second week we looked at a living hope. And last week we looked at groaning and liberation. And this week we'll be looking at hope in the resurrection. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so there's quite a bit that we'll be reading through. There's quite a bit of text that we'll be reading through. Um, and so be prepared to, 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 to go through your Bibles. We're going to go through a number of different verses. But I believe it's important for us as we discuss this topic of the resurrection. Where we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we see Paul expounded in uh, as, as comprehensive as we see in any other book. Um, in looking at the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus in particular. And so um, that's what we'll be looking at um, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So our teaching text is verses 35 to verse 58. 
but uh, I think it's important for us to look through um, a number of the previous verses to get the full context of the chapter. And so as, as, as we go through an overview of what we'll be looking at this morning, the title of our message is Hope in the Resurrection. Our first point will be no resurrection, no hope. Basically, without the resurrection, there is no hope. Our second point is hope in the resurrection, or rather hope in victory, specifically victory in Jesus. Our third point is the resurrection and me. We'll be looking at the resurrection and us and our resurrected bodies. And our fourth and final point will be Jesus is victorious. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather um, together as a people of God. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to hear your word, Lord. Um, thank you for, 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 for the blessing that is your word and that you speak to us in and through your word, Lord Jesus. And so I ask that you may be with us at this time in the hearing of this message, in the hearing of the sermon, Lord God. Um, I ask that you may bless the words of my mouth, Lord God. May you speak through me this morning. May it be you who speaks. May you choose the emphasis um, of which you want us to lean into this, this, this morning, this day, as we look at hope in the resurrection what the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus means, um, what it meant back then and what it means for us today. Um, open up the hearts of your people, open up our hearts and our minds. Let us know specifically what you want to say to us um, this day, this morning, Lord Jesus. And so we pray that you may be with us. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And so our first point is we get straight into it. No resurrection no hope. And you'll see that in verses 12 to 19, this is specifically where we do see what this looks like. Um, as we read uh, verses 1 to 4, though, I want to start us there um, in, 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 in our teaching text, but in the verses preceding the teaching text, verses 1 to 4, Paul lays the foundation of the gospel. Um, listen to what it says. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Verses 3 and 4, listen. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then it goes on in the following verses to, to confirm that he appeared to many more. So what Paul is doing here, he's, he's, he's in discussing the resurrection. He's saying, one in the scriptures, the Bible teaches about the resurrection of Jesus. But secondly, there were eyewitnesses on the day and in, in the days preceding the death of Jesus where he, he resurrected and he appeared to many. Paul here is saying, I deliver to you of utmost importance, first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, that he was resurrected. In church, that's what we believe. That's the foundation of what we believe as Christians and as believers. Okay, so he's laying uh, sort of the foundation of, of what we believe. Then he gets into 12, verses 12 to 19. Um, listen, to, listen with me as I read it from verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those 
who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. You'll see Paul uses a, uses the euphemism of fallen asleep, but it means those who have died in Christ are lost. Verse 19, if only for this life we have this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all of humanity. Church, the resurrection is of utmost importance for us as believers in Jesus. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. So this is what Paul is looking at in verses 12 to 19. It's specifically, as he starts in verse 14, he says, Our preaching and your faith is useless if there is no resurrection. Verse 15, we are false witnesses. We are liars because we're claiming that Christ was raised from the dead. So if there is no resurrection, then all Christians, all pastors, all religious leaders within the Christian faith are liars. Verse 17, he goes on to say, your faith then is futile, for you are still in your sins. Remember, the gospel teaches us that uh, throughout the, 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 the preceding chapters and throughout the Christian faith, Paul and, 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 and um, the, 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 the initial apostles would have taught that we are sinful and we need Jesus to save us from our sins. So that's confirmed. So if that is the case and Jesus was not indeed raised from the dead, we're lost in our sins. Verse 18, he goes on to say, those who then have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ are lost. It means the grave has the final say. If there is no resurrection, when we die, that's the end of our existence. Full stop. Verse 19, listen to this language. If our hope is only for this life, we are to be pitied he doesn't say full stop. He says, comma, we are to be pitied. Not only are we to be pitied, but we are to be pitied more than all of humanity. If there is no resurrection, church. The resurrection is of utmost importance. So have a look at this. So if there's no resurrection, it means there's no hope. It had me thinking about um, the notion of as searching for treasure or searching for gold. There's an image that we're going to show in a moment. Um, because it took me back, this, this concept of no resurrection, no hope, took me back to, to, to the California gold rush. That happened in the 1850s. I think around 1848 it said that one person found gold, James W. Moss. He then told everybody else, um, well he didn't tell everybody else, but it, it was inevitable, everybody else found out. Because gold is that one commodity where across the world, any part of the world, if someone sees gold, you don't need to tell them gold is precious. They know gold is precious. And for thousands of years, gold has always been one of those, outside of the dollar bill or the yen, gold is that one thing that everybody knows is valuable when you see it. So when James W. Marshall found gold in California, it is said that people throughout the United States, people throughout the world, traveled, uprooted their lives at the prospect of finding gold. Now remember, back in the day, people didn't fly. There weren't airplanes then, right? That, that, <laughs> it wasn't at a time where you could easily move from one continent to another. So, so when people committed to going to this place where there might be gold, it was a sacrifice. But they knew that if it was true, and if they could do that, if they indeed could find gold, they would change their lives forever. So it is said that about 300,000 people, that's a lot for back in that day, 300,000 people came from across the United States, across other uh, neighboring continents, at the prospect of finding gold. 
They sacrificed everything. Entire communities were changed. Everything revolved around the gold. It's actually a similar thing for us here in South Africa in what is called the Witzwatersrand gold rush that happened in the 1880s, commonly known as the Johannesburg gold rush. Lives were changed. In fact, the Boer War was happened as a result of the value of gold. Now, can you imagine? This is the question I want to ask you. Then. Can you imagine? After all that has happened, people have uprooted their lives. They get to these places where it's said to be, um, where, 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 where it's said to have gold present. What if it was a lie? What if it was all a lie? And James W. Marshall had made it all up. It would have been all in vain, futile, useless, hopeless. And so for us as the believer church, as the Christian, in humanity throughout the world, the most important value and treasure is the resurrection. And by the way, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God being likened to a treasure. It matters more than anything else. The resurrection matters, the, resur the resurrection is of utmost importance because without the resurrection, we are to be pitied amongst all of humanity. Okay, so that's our first point. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope. So that's where Paul starts this, 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 uh, this argument, this rhetoric. So, so Paul was an intelligent individual and, and 1 Corinthians 15 is him walking us through the rationale behind the proof and the reality and the truth of the resurrection. So our first point is no resurrection, no hope. Our second point is there is hope in victory, specifically the victory that is found in Jesus Christ. You see that the importance of the resurrection is in the fact that it's a confirmation of Jesus' authority and his power. It, it's a confirmation that he is deity, that he was and is fully God. John 1 verses 1 to, to, to 5 is a verse that helps us understand this truth, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, the Word being Jesus. It says, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood. Jesus is God. There were truths. The scriptures spoke to this reality of Jesus being God. But until He was raised from the dead, there wasn't actually proof and confirmation that he was God. He was, another, he was just another human being there. So in his resurrection church, we see the confirmation of Jesus' authority and his power. And as the Bible talks about his second coming, so his resurrection is sort of a symbol and, a, and an indication of that which is to come. The topic of the resurrection then is discussing what we call the theology of end times. Look at verses 24 and 25, um, still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It reads as follows, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This is the theology of end times. It's what we call eschatology. Within this context, it's, it's what is referred to as the parousia, which is in the Greek, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ came the first time, they expected that the Israelites and the Jewish people expected a, a warrior king, a warrior messiah. 
But God knew, theologically, we needed a sacrificial Messiah. We were caught in our sins. We were trapped in our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is dead. And so we were dead. Dead in our sins. So we needed Jesus to come in as a substitutionary atonement and lay, lay down his life. The cross and the grave symbolizes him sacrificing himself as a perfect substitutionary atonement. As a perfect sacrifice before God. Therein giving us access to God. So we have access to the resurrection because Jesus had to first come as a sacrificial Messiah. But church, when Jesus comes the second time, the parousia, the second coming, he will come as the warrior king. Humanity has made the mistake of undermining and disrespecting Jesus Christ, who he was and who he is to be when he returns. He will come back as the warrior messiah king. The book of Revelation consistently talks about Jesus coming in and reigning. Revelation 9 and 19 and 20 talk about the fact that he will come down on a, on a, on a white horse with, with this host of angels, with this army. And ultimately what we learn is church, there is a, an, an impending incoming battle at the end of humanity. But what we learn is even right now, there is a global scale battle that's happening. So there is an ultimate battle that will happen where Jesus will take on, where Jesus will take on the forces and the enemies against him and his kingdom. But even right now as we speak, we're going to see a few verses. The Bible tells us that there is a global scale battle that is happening as we speak in this world. And by the way, it's, it's, it's not actually COVID. It's not the threat of World War III. It's not Ukraine versus Russia. It's, it's not systemic racism. It's not, it's not natural disasters. It's not inequality. As horrible as those are, those are but byproducts and symptoms of a deeper battle, a deeper brokenness in this world. Ephesians chapter 6 um, verses 12 reads as follows. I think it's here on the screen. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church and he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Church, there is an ongoing battle in this earth. We're, we're battling, one pastor says, we're battling the brokenness of the world. We're, we're battling the, the brokenness of, of sin that's seen in the flesh. But church, we're also battling a proactive evil force. That's truth. We're not living in a neutral, balanced world. There are forces of evil, here it says, both in the heavenly realms and here on this earth. In John 10, um, verse 10, Jesus says it, I think, very accurately, where he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in contrast, he says, I have come that they may have life and have life in the full. Meaning, the life that the enemy wants for us is a broken life. A life of death. And by the way, the word evil in the Greek is poneria, which means depravity and malice, and it's where the root of sin comes from. There are those with evil intentions on this earth, church, wanting to go against us and to see our destruction and our death. And so when we read verses 
24 and 25, it's within that context that we realize the importance of the resurrection. The importance of Jesus and the resurrection and what that means for humanity and for us at an individual level. Because Jesus has the victory, church. We're on the winning team, church. And the fact that we're on the winning team must shape our global worldview. That's why sort of the question of the day was, was, was sharing a moment where you celebrated victory because I do believe, I come from a sporting background, I support many teams, but I do believe there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a theological importance in an understanding of the concept of battle, uh, competition, that there will be a winning side and there will be a losing side. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus has the victory, Satan knows he's been defeated, and he's trying to do everything that he can to pull everything and everyone down with him. And the Bible tells us that the fate for, 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 for the demons and his angels are destruction. May the Lord be with us that we may not join them in their fate, as the Bible teaches, for those who are not in Christ. Okay, so, so, so there's victory in Jesus, verses 24, I'm going to read verses 24 um, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 24 and 25 again. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It goes on, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Jesus has the victory Ultimately, so that God can be glorified. Because at the end of the day, everything will be subject to the authority and kingship of God. Okay. As we move to the third point then, as we understand what this thing means for the resurrection. What this thing means for me, for us as a church. As we look at our third point, the resurrection and me. Verses 20 and 23 in 1 Corinthians 15 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. It goes on to say, But each in his own turn, Christ first, Christ the first fruit, then, then, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So, so basically what that scripture is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, again, Paul is, is telling us, okay, one, without resurrection, there's no hope. Two, we understand that in the resurrection, God confirmed Jesus' authority. Jesus then will be victorious and everything will be under him. Now, this is what it means for us. In the same way that he rose first, we will also rise. We will also be resurrected. Him, him being the first fruit, so Adam was our first fruit on this earthly round, but Jesus then becomes our, our first fruit within the context of the resurrected body in the heavenly realm. We'll see that a bit in this particular text. So we, we learned that Jesus was resurrected, therefore we will also be resurrected. We will experience a resurrection too. So now as we look at verses 36, uh, all the way through to, to sort of verse 41, uh, all the way through to verse 53, we get a better understanding of what this then means for us. In verse 35 uh, of our teaching text, and the question is, someone might ask, how are the dead raised? With what, with what kind of body will they come? And so we see Paul explaining in verse 36, he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps, of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives 
its own body. So basically, Paul here is saying, this is not a foreign concept to us, because we know that as we look outside and we see the trees, we understand that a big tree in its one form, in one kind, was a result of a seed that was in another kind. So he's saying the resurrection is sort of similar to what we see outside. There's a seed that comes in one form, and then it, it, it's sown in one form, and then it's, it, it, it is reaped in another form, in the form of a different body, in the form of a plant or a tree. So there are different seeds for different bodies, he goes on to say. So have a look at verse 39, he says, All flesh is not the same. Humanity have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. So here he's saying, so in the same way that you see an, a human has one type of skin, flesh, you see an animal, you'll see a, 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 a flying creature, a bird, you'll see a fish, they have different kinds of flesh. In the same way, you have a heavenly and an earthly body. You have heavenly and earthly bodies, rather. So it's saying similarly, likewise, in the same way that I'm describing a seed and a plant, each has its own splendor. Have a look at verse 14. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star to star in splendor. And at this point, I want to note quickly, so, so Paul is addressing this because back, back in the day, there was a time when theologically there were those who said, the, 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 the human body is sinful, and therefore Jesus could not have come in human earthly form. He was here as a spiritual entity. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Theologically, it mattered that Jesus came in human form to be like us so that he can be a sacrifice that is accepted on our behalf. So Jesus did come in human form because the body itself is not bad. Though it, we, we, we find ourselves in, in sinful, the sinfulness of the flesh. But here Paul is saying the earthly body in itself has its own splendor. Remember, church. In Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1, we're created in the image of God, in, in, in His likeness. There is a splendor to the human body, church. We see Jesus was resurrected in, 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 in His body, in, in the form in which He came, though it was slightly different, it was different. But, but for those who said that the, the, the human body in itself was, was something that was corrupted and something that was bad, it was important theologically, so that was just a note, you know, so, so Paul says the heavenly has its own splendor and the earthly body has its own splendor. But then he continues, let's, let's have a look at verses 42 to, to 44. So then he goes on to say, again, we're looking at the resurrection and us. So will it, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. So you'll see this language of perishable and imperishable. Because it is sown perishable. And the word perishable means that which can decay and that which can be destroyed. And then it is raised imperishable. And the definition of imperishable there means an unending existence. That which has to do with immortality. So that's the contrast that we see of the resurrected body. So from verse 42, Paul is now specifically talking about our resurrected bodies. Sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. He goes on and he gives a couple more examples. Verse 43, is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. There is a dishonor in the brokenness of this world and in the brokenness of sin because we fall short, we miss the mark, and so we dishonor God. 
We were created to give God the glory, but in our sin, we dishonor God. But notice, though it was sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. Where we see glory being linked with the divine, worshiping God, honoring God as we were originally created to Him. He continues. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And, and church, this is what we see in the life of Jesus himself, in the body of Jesus. He was raised in this fashion. And, and the mystery around the resurrection church is this. So, so, so we're, 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 we're born, it's sown in the natural, it's raised spiritual. But notice when Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples, the Bible tells us that he said, feel my wounds. They could physically feel him. They say he had a meal with them. So it's not like these cartoon ghosts where we see they eat food and it falls straight on the ground. No, no, no. So the mystery of the resurrected body is, though it is heavenly, though it is spiritual, it is in fact still physical. Again, just a note, it's not just saying it's, it's, it's an intangible one, something that you can't feel. But the Bible teaches us that the, 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 the heavenly and the spiritual still have this, 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 this mysterious component and characteristic. And then as we continue, as Paul continues, verses 44 to 49, he then starts to land the plane as, as he, he sees the audience and starting to understand it. So it says if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Verse 46, it is written, the first man became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of, was, of, was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the heavenly, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are, who are of heaven. Of heaven. And just as we have been, we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So here Paul is, is continuing to double down on this, 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 this teaching and understanding that we were born like Adam, earthly form, natural, will be raised like Jesus, spiritual heavenly. Let's have a look at verses 50 to 53. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Church, this kind of body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He continues, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Remember, it's a euphemism for death. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Perishable and imperishable. Here it comes again. This is a perfect, there's this 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 the right scripture, this perfect scripture that talks about the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. It should be up. I'll read it for us. It goes as following. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 17. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose, Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, now he talks about the order, the Lord himself 
will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. There's hope in the resurrection, church. There's a profound hope where we can point to Jesus and look to Jesus because the resurrection means a new life, a different kind of life. Um, there's, there's, in light of the scripture, there's, a, there's, there's an audio, there's a clip I want us to listen to, church. I think it's, it's rather profound. You know, whenever I imagine the, the, the thought of that day, I always think to myself, what a glorious day it will be. Hmm, but only for those who are in Christ. The day will come when, when, when Jesus returns. The Bible says, as lightning strikes on the east and is heard and seen on the west, so it will be with the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. All from across the world will be gathered. And at that point, I often think to myself, sure, <laughs> the world will say, those silly Christians were right. And at that point, it will be too late. And so whenever I think about this, the Lord just challenges me to pray for, for, for those who don't know Jesus. Because it's not going to be a good day. Not for a lot of people. For the Christian though, there is hope in the resurrection. Because it is in the resurrection that on that day, when Jesus comes back, we will be found with him. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18 with me. It reads as follows. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. 
perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the life of death of Jesus, the, in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this life may be revealed in our mortal, his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe that therefore, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There is hope in the resurrection, church. That which we experienced here on, experience here on this earth is, 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 is but a small, of small significance in the grander scheme of what awaits those who are in Christ. There is hope in the resurrection, church. As we conclude, this text, our teaching text, teaches that it will be Jesus first, then it will be us. Have a look at verses 54 to 47 of our teaching text. It reads as follows. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It leads us to our fourth and final point. Jesus is victorious, church. Jesus is victorious. Praise God that the resurrection means and confirms the power and authority of Jesus. Confirms him as being God himself. And it means there's a hope for us. Because listen to verse 58. And with this, with these words, Paul concludes 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your faith and your trusting in God is not in vain. Your pain and your suffering is not in vain. Your hardships are not in vain. Your tears and your cries are not in vain. Your waiting is not in vain. In vain, whatever you're going through is not in vain because Jesus is victorious. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Because that is the gospel, Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected. That is the gospel. It's not in vain because that is the truth of the gospel. It's not in vain, church, because in first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope in the resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken to us this day through the, the reading and, 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 and 
astounding of your word, Lord. Thank you for First Corinthians chapter 15, Lord Jesus. Thank you that in it we see that Jesus is victorious, that he has the victory. And that if we are in Christ, we will have a never-ending hope. As painful as it gets, and it will be painful, Lord Jesus, we saw throughout the scriptures that your people experienced a painful life many a time. Persecution was rife many a time, Lord Jesus. And they never lost their hope. Paul himself, writing this letter, never lost his hope. For he knew that there was hope in the resurrection. For he knew that at the end of the day, Jesus would return as the Messiah King, as the Messiah Warrior, Warrior Messiah. May the, the reality of the second coming of Jesus, may the reality of knowing that we serve a living God who was raised from the dead, who conquered death like no one else, confirming his deity, confirming that he was God, may that shape our worldview, Lord Jesus. May that affect the way we live our lives. May that affect and have a profound impact on the way we make our decisions daily, Lord Jesus. May you encourage us by reminding us that there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.